My name is Jane Entwistle, and you're listening to To Whom It May Concern, a live show in Echo Park, California, where folks read their letters on stage. Real letters they've written, letters they've received, correspondence back and forth, or letters they wish they could write. Daryl Kunitomi is a native Angelino who has worked for the LA Times for 37 years. He shares letters from his uncle Ted, an American GI in World War II, to his family who were imprisoned in a Japanese internment camp in Wyoming. I'm gonna get a little serious. I'm gonna take us all back to 1944 and World War II. And this gentleman, whose photo, this is an original photo from 1944, This is my uncle who was killed in World War II. I'm going to read some of his letters. These are going to be hard to get through because it is blood. Bear in mind this gentleman is 19 years old, a volunteer from behind barbed wire. Whoa. He had volunteered at the age of 18, turned 19 in the service, and served with the famous 442nd, the gopher broke guys, Senator Inoue, all that stuff. On the afternoon of Pearl Harbor, when Japan attacked America, the Japanese Americans immediately became the devil. Uh, Grandpa was rushed away from the family home, which was right across the street from Sunset Gower Studios in Hollywood, where there was a little Japanese community. You know that Iso Street down in Little Tokyo? Well, Judge Iso lived one block from my family. My mom went to Hollywood High with people like Alan Hale Jr. from Gilligan's Island, Alexis Smith, uh, Jason Robards, people like that, because the stars actually lived in Hollywood. So, uh, the family goes to Santa Anita Racetrack, and that's where they were stuck in horse stalls until the camps were finished. Eventually, the 10 camps were finished, and they stretched from Arkansas to Utah to California and uh, Arizona, Colorado too. So Uncle Ted uh, decides somehow that uh, the best thing to do is to volunteer and to go off and fight for the United States. So he is a 4C, which is an an enemy alien. Most of you guys are too young to remember Vietnam. I do. You had classifications. If you were 1A, you were cannon fodder. You were prime. If you were 4C, you didn't have to worry. Nobody wanted you. So anyway, being a Japanese American, he was 4C. He decides to volunteer. And from the Park County Selective Service Board, addressed to Teruo, his name became Ted, uh, in the Heart Mountain Relocation Camp. Dear Sir, receipt of your application for voluntary induction is hereby acknowledged. Preliminary physical examination has been waived, and if you are found acceptable by the armed forces, you will immediately be reclassified in order to report for induction. Sincerely yours, Mr. Christensen, etc., etc. <coughs> Two months in the Army. Sometimes I open my eyes in the early morning expecting to see our room at Heart Mountain, expecting to see the white Celotex ceiling and walls, the dim outline of our friendly stove in the corner, younger brother Babe, older brother Dick, sleeping comfortably nearby, 
The drapes on the windows and the square opening in the wall dividing our room and the other room. The other room where I know Mama and Papa and the girls are sleeping. And the comfort of just hearing you all near me. But looking up into the semi-darkness, I see bare wood, rafters, and I hear the breathing of the men sleeping after a hard day's work. I see the neat rows of clothing, the shelves with pictures of my hutmate's girlfriends, parents, and I come out of my dreaming, come out of the world of two months ago, and I realize that I'm here, Camp Shelby, Mississippi, realize that this all isn't a dream. I'm not a kid anymore. So the 442 goes into action in Italy, and they fight at Mari Casino, the famous casino there on the hill. The Polish troops had tried to take it, the American troops, the Hawaiian guys. Now, Hawaii was interesting. It was a territory. They asked for 1,500 volunteers, 10,000 show up. It's not even a state, guys. Well, they get wiped out. The uh, remaining guys get sent back to the states. They get sent to France to recoup. And the mainland guys, of which Uncle Ted was a member, were training. Eventually, they would hook up and rescue the lost battalion in France, the famous rescue of the Texas guys. What happened was the Texas guys were going for it, and they got so far ahead in the forest, the Germans surrounded them. They were cut off for two weeks, and they sent in the Japanese guys to rescue them. People write that we're fighting to preserve democracy, the American way of life. Well, as for me, I'm not fighting for the pre-war America, the America filled with prejudice and tolerance, greed. I'm fighting for a better America, striving always to improve this land to a real democracy. True, I don't believe we'll ever reach the goal of a perfect government because there will always be some rats, ignorant and greedy people, but at least we can improve. He's a pretty mature guy for being 18. So he was in the anti-tank unit, but in the force of eastern France, you've heard of the Battle of the Bulge. As the American forces were heading toward Germany, the resistance stiffened because you are getting near the fatherland. And they started encountering older guys and teens. And there's one famous story where they knock down a sniper, bam, the sniper hits the ground, they go over to check it. And the Hawaii guy is feeling the body and he says, oh, this one has chi-chis. They open the blouse. It's a woman, a German woman. That's the way it was toward the end. Eventually, on November 5th, he was caught under what's called a tree burst, which if you've seen Band of Brothers, uh, the trees in eastern France are so close you can touch them. In fact, they're so close sometimes the trees are touching each other. And the shells come in and they hit the tree and the shrapnel comes down at you. So there's no hiding. It's called a tree burst. So that's what got Uncle Ted. He was quite poetic for a 19-year-old guy in the middle of war. Yesterday, the weather was ideal, cloudless. The air had a clean smell, as if everything had been washed thoroughly by the past weeks of rain. And last night, though awfully chilly, it was beautiful too. While on guard under a mass of twinkling stars and surrounded by the sounds of the night, I watched countless falling stars, their long, fiery trails gracefully falling. They sped on and sped on into nothing. The occasional boom of distant artillery, the carbine slung on my shoulder, 
and the uniform, the only things different from a night back in Heart Mountain or back home in Hollywood. Thank you. Christine Lakin is a former child star with a slew of credits as a grown-up that include Family Guy, The League, and her web hit, Lovin' Lakin. Christine shares endearing letters of support from her grandmothers and a letter that reveals the difficulty of pursuing a career in the entertainment industry. Hello. I am an artist, as many of us are, I'm assuming. I do a lot of different things in my life. Sometimes I act in films. Sometimes I act in TV. Sometimes I act in theater. Sometimes I'm a voiceover actress. Sometimes a choreograph. Sometimes I'm a host. Sometimes a producer. Sometimes I'm a writer. I do a lot of shit. Um, and the reason I do all that shit is because I just try to be an artist. And as many of us do, sometimes you, you do whatever it takes to pay the bills or to remember that you're an artist, right? So I'm going to read a couple letters tonight along that theme. And two of them are from my grandmothers, both named Helen, which is my middle name. And the thing that's funny about, like, your family, especially your grandparents that are kind of once removed, is that they have, everything is roses to them. Everything is, why can't you just sit in schwabs and get noticed? You should be in a commercial. You have a great look. Why can't someone just put you in a series? And it's all very sweet. But there's something about, like, getting a handwritten letter from my grandmother with this kind of sort of sweet, um, enthusiastic naivete that maybe kind of keeps you going now and then. So the first one is from my grandma Helen who lived in um, Texas, God rest her soul. And she writes, Dear Christine, while making the bed a few minutes ago, I thought of you and how much we enjoyed you and your mom and dad in July. I also had a great thought that you were going to be great in the MOW Finding Kelly that the director and the producers will say, we have found a gem of an actress in Christine Lichen. They will find a script for you and you will be on your way to acting in great movies. Isn't that marvelous? <laughs> keep well and happy. Just keep doing what you do best by being my precious granddaughter. Much love always, Grandma and Grandpa. So then there's the other Helen, who lives in Illinois. And she's a little more ornery and kind of funny, and will tell you exactly what she thinks, but very sweet nonetheless. She writes at the top, snail mail. <laughs> Hi, Christine. Started cleaning drawers and closets. Hard for me to throw things away. I wasn't raised that way. Still, I love to go to garage sales and bring someone else's junk home. Go figure. Just wanted to say I watched you in seven days and thought you came across real well. The acting, the visual, all of it. Good lengthy part, too. Hope your agents get more of those for you. You deserve to be in the public eye, because I know you can act. <laughs> go visit sets if you can. You have to be somewhere where someone spots you. <laughs> Oh, and then she says, I must complain. The part on Gwen on Odd Man Out, well, you did a great job. I called my friends, even my relatives in Michigan, on Grandpa's side. Made me wonder if you remembered him, or maybe you were too young. Anyway, got a call from Michigan. They thought it was good. 
I myself thought the idea of a show, brother with sisters and all that dialogue was stupid. But then the writers have the hardest part. I lost two friends these past two weeks. One was a friend of my mom's. She was 93. But though I complained she called me three times a week, now I miss her calls. It's like my last link to Czechoslovakia. You were born here, but you don't remember foreign parents or customs I grew up with. So now it's like it comes back. The stuff I resented and the embarrassment I felt when I was young because my parents were not educated is now not important. Goes to show how we learn too late. Much love, Grandma. So a few years later, I was doing theater in this rat-infested place in Hollywood and having a great time. And I met one of my best friends. And a few years after that, she decided to quit the business. She decided to give up. And I think we've all probably had that moment when we wonder, you know, what's the other life I could be living? And she wrote a letter, not to herself, but to her talent. Dear talent, it's been difficult to actually sit down and confront you, but I think I've finally reached the breaking point. I know, I know, I have threatened this very thing before, but I'm older now and not getting any younger, especially by industry standards, and I feel that after all these years, I have to bid you adieu. I have nurtured you and catered to you, loved you and coddled you. From my undeniable passion, I have fought to get you heard, whether through words or by song. I believed in you, and you never let me down, not once. In fact, you always exceeded my expectations. So I knew to push on despite the slamming of doors. You stood up to those who discouraged and didn't back down by the naysayers. Your resilience was a source of pride. But lately, the risks are outweighing the rewards, and I cannot afford you anymore. You leave me feeling embarrassed and ashamed that at my age I basically live at a poverty level. My heart and soul revolved around you, and now as I sit in this corporate office, dressed in slacks and a blouse, trying yet again to temporarily make enough to sustain your constant neediness, I just feel like crying. I don't want to abandon you, but I'm left with no choice. What used to be joyful now breeds resentment. The accolades you received now depress me, pressing reminders that I should stay in the ring and continue to take the punches. But I'm tired, talent. You and I have been in this race a long time. And it's taken me this long to realize there will never be a finish line. Only pit stops of cheer to quench your thirst temporarily. To put it simply, and I'm sorry if it sounds harsh, you have become a burden. I cannot support you anymore. I've sacrificed so many things, including my dignity, once or twice, to keep you alive. I believe it's why I haven't found love. I know it's the reason I'm only left with a few more childbearing years. You always insisted on being number one. And now I can't help but wonder, what if I was born without you? I know many people who exist and who feel fulfilled without this special ability. Would I then have been okay to sit in a cubicle wearing professional attire instead of feeling like I'm in a jail cell wearing an orange jumpsuit? Why did I have to know such joy 
only to bring on such sadness. People born without you can lead normal lives, get regular kind of work, and receive salaried pay. I go out of my way to find the abnormally irregular non-paying jobs to make you happy. The irony being that you and I cannot survive on joy alone. Oh, how I wish we could. I love you very much. I weep at the thought of extinguishing this fire, finally having to douse your flame of society's wishes. But I do know this. I wouldn't trade a minute of the time we spent together. I have to believe you found me for a reason. Though I am breaking ties and sending you on your way, I will never forget the immense pleasure you brought me. The moments you were free and out there for all to see. And when you were the brightest star and reached out to touch souls other than mine, you will always frame my walls and be a spiritual presence. And as I wish you a way to go on your own journey, I merely have this to say. Break a leg. She lives in New York now, and she's married and has a daughter who she gets to act for every day. I'm Christine Lakin, thanks. Todd Duffy is best known for his role as the annoying waiter in the iconic film Office Space. He shares with us some of his fan letters. Todd thought the audience would sympathize, but the audience had different ideas. To the audience, from me, regarding fan mail. My dear audience, my name is Todd Duffy. I'm an actor, and apparently from these letters, an impressionable one. However, I seem to be impressionable only to the lonely, injured, and chronically ill, and newlyweds. As these letters will attest, I have brought their lives joy. Yet, in order to relate to me, they must tell me about their lives, their ailments, conditions, and uh, interesting situations, in order, it seems, to make their plights and requests worthy. Nevertheless, I sent them all photos because I like bringing smiles to their faces, even if some of those wound up on eBay and autograph sites almost immediately. And while I no longer sign photos due to this and the fact that my identity was stolen due to one of these signatures, I would like to share with you these select few that made an impression on me. <laughs> Dear Todd Duffy, I am a Norwegian boy and you are my most favorite star. Could you please send me an autograph and, if possible, also a picture of you? I would be more than happy, of course. For your convenience, please use the enclosed envelope. The best of luck and future and kindest regards. Sincerely yours. Really? <laughs> Dear Todd, you are the voice of one of this old man's favorite TV shows, Barney and Friends, which I have watched Barney as long as I can remember. You are good as the voice of Scooter. I can't believe your voice people don't get any more acknowledgement for the good work you do because they don't see you. I remember seeing you in a movie as a part of Brian in a comedy called Office Space. I was amazed at what a good actor you are for just being the voice on the mic in cartoons. And were you or have you been in any other movies? I am a retired person, Todd, who is asking please for a personalized autograph and picture to add to my new collection of favorite stars. I would appreciate one greatly. I am enclosing a stamped, self-addressed envelope to use. Thank you for your time. Wow. Whose side are you on? 
Dear Mr. Duffy, I live in West Chapel, Florida. Last week, while visiting Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida, I just couldn't help seeing the Barney show one more time for old time's sake. Although I am a teenager, at 14 years of age, I'm learning how to speak is still fresh in my mind. While driving in the car, my mom played Barney songs and videos to help me learn how to talk. You see, the doctors told my mom that I would never speak, so I have a lot to thank Barney and his friends for helping me. After researching your life, I found out that you are the voice of the beaver mascot on the Tony Hawk Project 8 game. How cool! That is one of my favorite games. I am also taking drama and practicing voices. I would love to become a voice actor. I love animation. I also read that your voice as the concession guy was in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. I also saw your appearance as DJ on Drew Carey's Jews Girl Friday, and you were very good. I read on IMDb that you began acting in the third grade doing theater and went on to Booker T. Washington High School for the Performing and Visual Arts where you majored in theater. What a great opportunity. I also found a lot of your clips on YouTube. You are very funny. I love comedy and realize how tough it can be to make people laugh. Researching your life is very interesting. I hope to be as famous as you someday. I will be checking IMDb to find out what you are doing next. I certainly will be watching. I really enjoyed reading about your life. I also would like to meet you, but for now, I would love to have your picture and autograph to add to my movie room wall. Thank you and hope to hear from you soon. Dear Mr. Duffy, I was wondering if perhaps you can help me out. My brother is getting married on October 22nd and instead of getting a traditional wedding gift, I decided to do something different. I'm composing a scrapbook of well wishes, photographs, letters, etc., for him and his bride to be from some of the people he and his fiancée have been touched by through the years, through television, movies, radio, etc. My brother has been a huge fan of Office Space, and he's always thought your character as the tchotchkes waiter was hilarious. I thought that the scrapbook would be incomplete without something from you. With that, I'm hoping that you would also be so kind as to send a note or photo wishing them, my brother, Chris, and his fiancée, Mary, good luck and congratulations on their new life together. Anything would be greatly appreciated. It is a surprise wedding gift, so please send any correspondence to myself. Thank you in advance for your generosity. And finally, dear Todd, my name is Connor. I'm an 11-year-old, and I used to watch Barney. I don't anymore because I'm older, but I have seen you on Buffy. My brother is a big fan of that show. He also knows your voice from that show. He has problems and he doesn't get to play like most kids, so he's watched a lot of TV. He's 13. He's been sick most of his life, so he's seen a lot of the things you have acted on. He also has played Tony Hawk, so he's heard your voice on that also. He and I think you are really good at acting. He wants to have a signed autograph of you, and I would like one too. He says you probably won't do it because you get so many people asking for them. But I told him I'd ask. If possible, can you make his a picture from Buffy? My mom says you are in a movie called Office Space, so if that's a good movie, can you make my picture one of you from that? I don't get to watch it because of the, it has adult words. Thanks, and you are awesome. Eric Weston takes the well-being of his cats very seriously as evidenced by his letter to the Litter Quitter Cat Toilet Training People. Now, uh, a couple months back, I tried to toilet train my cats. 
Uh, I bought a kit and, and tried to accomplish this. So I wrote a letter to the company after my experience. Now, before I begin, you have to know that I'd watched The Hobbit the night before I wrote this. <laughs> Take heed, my friends, for I have a story to tell. My story starts one full cycle of the moon ago in a land called Petco. I saw a vision, something so profound and beautiful that it rattled my soul to its core. A way to toilet train my feline beasts, thus banishing the dreadful litter and its keeper, the box, from my kingdom for all eternity. This vision consumed my every desire and poisoned me into believing such dark magic would work. <laughs> Without thinking, I grabbed the coveted kit and headed back to my kingdom post-haste. <sighs> the toilet training kit said this adventure would last roughly two full cycles of the moon. The kit spoke of three stages, red, amber, and green. Each stage would last but only a few weeks. I was so blinded by my vision and failed to see the truth, which was my kingdom was going to war. After preparing the kid as instructed and banishing the box into the dark caverns of my closet, never to be seen again, I was ready for the first battle. Red. During the battle, the army of litter was losing and I could see the kit was working. Huzzah! My kingdom would soon know peace. It was time for the Battle of Amber. It started like the red, but something was different. The veil of falsehoods that covered my eyes from the land of Petco was slowly lifting. I could see the army of litter gaining ground and calling for the return of its box, but I trudged onward to victory. Or so I thought. The Battle of Amber was taking a toll on my kingdom. My beloved Couchy was the first victim. Sure, Couchy was from the land of Ikea, old, weak, not in good health, but he did not deserve a pissing like that. He will be missed. As the Battle of Amber continued, I went into my sleeping chamber to find the army of litter had snuck past my forces and deposited the most foul of logs onto my bed. The scent covered my kingdom in a stench so powerful that the veil of falsehoods was lifted and I could see my kingdom crumbling before my eyes. How could I be such a fool? As the sun was setting on another day of battle, my bed received another pissing and log attack. It was worse than the first. The darkness had consumed my kingdom for I had lost the war. As king, my only solution was to make peace with the dreaded litter and its keeper, the box. I have spared my kingdom from countless pissing and log attacks. Per the terms reached in my surrender, I shall hand over part of my kingdom back to litter and box. How long will this peace last, you ask? Only time will tell. Now go, spread my story throughout the land. Spare your kingdom the foulness I have endured. And uh, this is what they wrote back. <laughs> Firstly, we have been greatly entertained by your email and wish that all inquiries had this amazing level of effort put into them. But more seriously, we are extremely sorry that the device did not work as expected and that your cat hath fouled on your sofa amongst other places. We have attached a tips and tricks self-help sheet, which does outline how to correct some of the common litter quitter issues, such as the amber stage transition. We hope that this helps. Kind regards, Ben, the litter quitter team. The moral of the story is, 
out of this whole experience, I got a new mattress and a new couch. Thank you. I read a letter to David Lynch, and as ludicrous as it may sound, there is nothing made up about my letter, except that I have yet to figure out where to mail it. This is not a letter I sent, but everything in it is absolutely true, verbatim, and it's a letter I would really like to send. Dear David Lynch, I have no doubt this letter will never reach you, yet I feel compelled to thank you publicly for your creative service. Service is such a banal word, brilliance really, oddness and even corruption, well, creative corruption. I came to Twin Peaks after the fact, like so many things, sushi, the cure, artisan beer. I even watched things out of order going on a date to see Firewalk With Me before viewing the series. I was confused, scared, not sure what was going on. That was the date. The movie had much the same effect. It was Seattle, Washington sometime in the early 90s and Twin Peaks was rentable on VHS, of course it was the 90s, at the independent video store up on Capitol Hill in an old fire station. I became absorbed in the series, obsessed, and I entangled my friend slash neighbor slash coworker slash crush into the Lynchian world with me. I would cook a wholesome dinner and he would pick up the tapes from the video store. It was during this viewing period that my friend and I noticed a beat up piece of crap parked on 15th Avenue with numerous parking tickets littering the windshield. We noticed this particular car because parking was an abhorrent beast on Capitol Hill. Not that either of us had a car. The tickets accrued on the windshield, obliterating a view of the interior. One day, a Twin Peaks day, we stopped to really take in this car. It was ugly and big and slightly muscly, and I wondered out loud if it might be unlocked. My friend, not one to break rules or ruffle feathers or speak ill of the dead or eat with his hands, protested. I grabbed the handle and lo and behold, I was sitting in the passenger seat, marveling at the headroom in this monstrosity. It was then I noticed the handwritten sign, please take me. It says take me. No. It says please, absolutely not. But it says, no. Besides, are we supposed to hotwire it? I knew if there was to be any hot wiring, somehow, in my littleness and naivete, it would fall on me. So I opened the glove compartment, thinking that's where I would hide keys if I wanted someone to take my car. And there they were, in plain sight. Driving around the block was both terrifying and exhilarating. <laughs> Gregory was beside himself, shaking and pale and glancing in the rearview mirror more than is required in the driver's ed handbook, which I was studying. I didn't have my license. That's why Gregory had the honor. A few blocks into our crime spree, Gregory started coughing and holding his mouth, madly rolling down the window, demanding I do the same. Jesus, it smells like death. What does? Ah, this, us, the bloody car. It smells like dying. Oh my Christ, we have to pull over. I don't have a sense of smell. Long story. We pulled over and got out to investigate. Nothing in the interior of the car. 
We faced the trunk. Gregory was heaving beside the car. I stared on. The trunk lid was immovable, not budging for love nor money. I maintained it was welded shut. Gregory was undecided. I surveyed our surroundings and noticed we were parked, ironically, in front of the Capitol Hill police station. <laughs> For some reason, the station's front desk was constructed much like a fortress, with the desk sergeant peering down at me from a considerable height. I felt like a child gripping the edge of the desk, standing on my tiptoes, attempting to seem formidable. It didn't work. Yes, he sighed down at me, annoyance blanketing my head. I could have been shot, for Christ's sake. We found a car. It had a sign that said, please take me, and the keys were in the car, so we took it, but now we think there's a dead body in the trunk, and I'm wondering if I can keep the car. <laughs> no. Why not? It said, please. No. But why? Did you consider that someone wrote that in the hopes that a silly girl like you would steal it? I didn't steal it. We borrowed it. Put it back. What about the body? Put it back. <laughs> what will happen to my car? The car that is not your car will be towed and impounded. Can I have it then? You have five minutes to return that goddamn car. <sighs> we returned the car to a spot relatively near the one that it was parked in and said goodbye to being mobile. Gregory was mortified possibly his first and only run-in with the man. It was a quiet walk to the video store for the next installment of Twin Peaks. Our ritual resumed. The next week I made dinner while Gregory popped off to pick up the tapes. He was back with amazing speed. How the hell did you manage that? He pulled a set of car keys from his pocket. Our car is still there, but it doesn't mean I'm going to let some other bugger drive it. Our car was eventually towed, and Twin Peaks came to an end. Both occurrences had the same effect. What the fuck was that all about? <laughs> but in a good way, Mr. Lynch. In a really good, confounding way. I have the soundtrack to Firewalk with me in my iTunes, and when it randomly shuffles through, I'm rocketed back to a wet Seattle street, joyriding in a stolen car with a possible dead body in the trunk. Thank you for what you do, Mr. Lynch. All my love, Jane. You have been listening to To Whom It May Concern. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a letter. Send us your own letters or drop us a line at www.readyourletter.com. <laughs>